Welcome to Get in the Know with Your CMO, hosted by Saj Joyce, CMO for the Central Division, me, and to my partner to the right, Dr. Drew Herman. Hello, CMO. <laughs> CMO of Levine Children's Hospital and Jeff Gordon's Children's Center. I have the pleasure of uh, speaking with Dr. Lewis McCurdy, uh, who is our um, Atrium Health Specialty Director of Infectious Disease. And uh, this is very timely uh, because uh, March 12th, uh, 2020, uh, we just recently found out that uh, the World Health Organization has called uh, the coronavirus, uh, the novel version of it, uh, as a pandemic. And so we wanted to speak with you. So thank you, Lewis, for coming and talking to us and kind of giving our Atrium Health community uh, a little better understanding of uh, what it is, uh, not only worldwide, but really what we need to think about locally and, and to take care of our patients and ourselves. Yeah, certainly. Thanks for having me. Well, first, just tell us real quickly, uh, where are you from, Lewis, and where's home, and how long have you been here with Atrium? Yep, so I grew up in uh, Alabama, made my way through uh, Nashville for some training to Washington, D.C., and then came to Charlotte in 2003, so I've been in the Atrium Health System uh, or practicing in Charlotte for about 15 plus years. The coronavirus, novel uh, virus. Tell us uh, what you'd want the our teammates to know about it from a background standpoint uh, and then really... Uh... Yeah, so I think probably at this point, hopefully most folks uh, have heard about the coronavirus. Um, obviously began several months ago um, in China. Uh, it's made its way, uh, unfortunately, to the United States, as well as many other countries, as we've seen on the news. Uh, first, sort of on the West Coast, where there was some concentration, and then now, unfortunately, uh, in many states in the United States, uh, and here locally in North Carolina as well. Yeah, yeah, and and I know that uh, we've been following it uh, from um, uh, you all specifically, uh, from an inter- infectious disease standpoint, and I know that uh, Johns Hopkins has this map that we've been looking at and, and watching the continued growth and the spread of this disease um, or how is it different than any of our other infectious diseases that we are always ta- taught to take precautions with so i think there's some similarities other uh, viruses in particular that we've seen uh, meaning some modes of transmission uh, as it relates to droplet uh, transmission. Some things that are unique about it uh, tend, it's what we think is the mortality associated with it. Mm-hmm. Seems to be more so than some of the common respiratory viruses or the other coronaviruses that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a higher mortality rate per case than influenza. Um, not so much as some of the other viruses that we had seen before, SARS and MERS, but um, certainly more in that ballpark uh, than our sort of usual respiratory viruses. And what's the fear, though, with this? Because it's got a higher mortality rate, though, but it's the fear that's tied to it is what? I think there's a lot of anxiety around the transmission. Okay. Um, and so what we've seen is a lot of transmission in local areas when this virus has made its way to that uh, community, we're seeing a fairly high rate of transmission. So that's one of the unique things about it is there are some... Uh, epidemiologic trends around how transmissible a virus is, and this is one that's more transmissible than some of the other viruses. Um, and then there seems to be a higher mortality rate specifically in certain populations. So again, as we've seen across the country, an elderly population and some population you're immunocompromised, 
we're seeing a higher rate of mortality even within those groups than sort of the 3% mortality that's sort of the overall mortality that we've seen with this virus. Got it. And you mentioned a couple of key words earlier, the mode of transmission. Uh, What is the current understanding of the mode of transmission? So there's been some change as this uh, epidemic, now pandemic, has evolved. Uh, And so obviously trying to protect uh, people, uh, healthcare workers in particular, the best we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some variation around that. Uh, over the last several weeks, um, the WHO and the CDC uh, have agreed that it's a droplet transmission, so using surgical mask uh, okay. when being in contact uh, with patients or suspected patients um, is what we need to be doing as healthcare workers. So there probably still is a place for N95s in those situations. We're doing aerosolized procedures, um, intubation, bronchoscopy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But for our everyday encounter of these patients and caring for these patients, surgical mask um, is what's being recommended at this point. Got it. Got it. And and how do patients who are infected uh, typically present? So there's some variation, and so I think this is one place, again, as we go through uh, our evolution and understand this, we had a very big focus on travel to begin with, and people being symptomatic, and the more common symptoms are cough, shortness of breath, and fever. Uh, People can present with milder symptoms. Some people we think may be asymptomatic uh, and be infected, but the cough, the shortness of breath, and the fever are sort of the three main symptoms, Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly around CDC sort of advisory and what symptoms to look for, those are sort of the focus. And again, I think as we move through this, that's actually going to be more of the focus as we evaluate patients is looking at symptoms rather than this whole concept of travel. Yeah. So obviously travel to China, travel uh, to Iran, travel to Italy were sort of the focuses. Uh, and as we've seen over the last several days with this uh, change in our government's uh, philosophy around Europe and uh, right. other countries, right. it's probably less important where you came from and just making sure that we're being attuned to patients' symptoms, um, particularly like as I mentioned, cough, shortness of breath, and fever is sort of things that should heighten our awareness that uh, we need to evaluate these patients. Okay. And so, um, and what are the approaches that we should take as not a patient, I'm sorry, not, not, not a, a provider, but someone in the community to help reduce that risk of uh, getting infected? So I think, like I mentioned before, this is similar to other viruses, so yeah. sort of the common things that we've tried to get out to our community. So I think Atrium Health, we've been working on this for several weeks, trying to get messaging to our patients, who most of us are as well, uh, asking people to wash their hands, uh, asking people uh, to sort of limit some of their activities, which is becoming more important. There's a whole concept of social distancing that's now become in the phase where we're trying to distance ourselves, sort of six feet is what's recommended from one person to the other to try to limit exposures uh, that are unnecessary. Okay. Um, What other actions are we doing as leaders in the Charlotte metro area and actually in the state to try to help uh, identify and and treat uh, patients with coronavirus? Right, so a lot of work has been going on. Um, So we have our incident command centers now set up. Um, So we have a health system command and then also command centers at the facilities. you know, one of the things that we've tried to focus on is how can we identify patients um, in a more safe environment mm-hmm. rather than exposing many people to someone who might be infected, uh, including our teammates and healthcare workers. And so we've 
put a lot of work into trying to uh, sort of strengthen our virtual platforms mm -hmm. and direct our patients to those areas so that they can have a phone call to a nurse, have a phone call uh, with a provider. We've got a system through virtual care, Dr. Dave Casenza, where those folks can have e-visits, they can have virtual visits with providers who mm -hmm. are atrium providers mm -hmm. that not only maybe can ease some of the concern of people, right. um, but also direct people to the right care. So I think that's one thing that we're trying to do. We don't want this to be a flood to urgent cares. We don't want to be a flood to emergency departments. And so we're trying to put a system in place where we can identify people early, uh, have them make a phone call so that we can assess them clinically to see mm -hmm. if they truly are at risk, uh, assess the severity of their illness, and then based on those things, sort of say, do you need testing? Do you not need testing? Where can we get that for you safely? Uh, and if you're ill, we want to be able to communicate that to our colleagues in emergency departments across uh, the metro so that we can make sure they're aware and appropriately prepared if the patients were to show up in the emergency room. Got it. And, and, and so if they were to, I mean, so first capture them on the front end by giving them ways to get a hold of us virtually or by phone to help screen out those that need to come in versus uh, might have other causes for their symptoms. And then second, if they do show up, whether they show up to the emergency room, what kind of processes are we putting in place to try to help take care of that patient, identify the one at risk, and also take care of our teammates? Right, so again, a lot of work uh, that's hopefully been dispersed to our teammates around mm -hmm. how best do we approach that patient. So again, uh, at each point of entry with Atrium now in place should be screening questions. Mm -hmm. So whether that be an emergency department when you present or an ambulatory practice or an urgent care, the strategy is to have our teammates there at that front ask the patient the questions. Again, we're trying to focus more on symptoms as mm -hmm. sort of that first question and then travel secondary. And as we get further into this, the travel will honestly become less important because we can't have 40 countries that we're running through with these patients right. uh, as we identify cases um, across the world. So that's the front point. And then we wanna make sure those people who do answer positive to our screening questions, get a mask mm -hmm. uh, as a first step. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when we engage with that next line of our teammate, asking those teammates to be masked as well. And then we wanna get people into isolation as quickly as possible. So again, whether it's ED, urgent care, or ambulatory practice, that ought to be standard across um, our system. Right. And then once we get there, we feel like it's safe to actually then be able to determine if the person uh, truly is a person of suspicion or not. Right. Um, but the first thing we want to do is identify, then isolate, uh, and then inform, meaning we want to gather the information at that point. And after we gather the information, we've also now expedited the process where we can actually test in-house or within our core labs rather than when we were sending things off to the lab, right? Correct. So a lot of evolution around testing, which right. I know is a concern for yeah. lots of people. Um, and I would say it's a very fluid process. Uh, <laughs> every day there's a little uh, wrinkle to it, uh, but we do have testing here at Atrium. Um, we have some limitations to that testing. Sure. So we're continuing to be cognizant of that. We want to utilize our test in the best fashion that we can. So, you know, one thing that we're focusing on is testing symptomatic patients rather than people who are asymptomatic right. who might have an exposure because we want to be able to find those patients. So for hospitalized patients, we have an algorithm uh, that again is available to everyone on People Connect. Yep. Uh, so you can go there and sort of see what we think the criteria are for appropriate testing of folks. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry, I interrupted uh, you. Uh, and we have a mechanism in place currently where you can use a halo messaging to a COVID-19 test review, uh, and there all cases are screened um, by an infectious disease provider to see if uh, it's a good patient to be testing. Uh, and that's just one pl thing we have in place right now to try to limit that. Again, this is a very fluid process, so right. depending on what our testing availability is, what the sort of density of the disease in the community is, right. those things will change over time, but sure. um, it's a, it's a sort of paradigm algorithm that's been thought out uh, to try to utilize our resources best uh, in an effort to diagnose people uh, the best we can. And, and, and by having this option though, the turnaround time has also dramatically improved. Yes, that's a great point. So now that we have it in-house, uh, the laboratory team has been a terrific partner with this. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got testing that's done uh, several shifts a day, so we've been able to get some results back with as early as uh, four hours. Right. Um, and so that certainly helps alleviate some Panic uh, also helps uh, us make sure that we're obviously caring for the patient the best way we can. Right, and and I think uh, the gatekeepers to the testing, uh, because of the limited resource, is also incorporating the infectious disease team to assess the right patients. Correct, yeah, so right now um, we're assessing uh, sort of the balance between resources, right. yeah. uh, the appropriateness of patients, making sure that we're uh, testing the patients who may be more ill or more at risk. Uh, preferentially, uh, we have been um, talking to teammates as well. So yeah. one of the big things is travel uh, for yeah. our teammates. So obviously um, some restrictions there around business, but other people continue to travel or may mm -hmm. have been in a vulnerable place when they came back to work. So there's a process in place for that as well through teammate health. And for those teammates who we deem at risk because of their exposure or their symptoms, there's a mechanism in place for those folks to get tested as well. Got it. And um, and then now that, let's just go continue the hypothetical. Let's say we've got a patient admitted here. We were also instituting visitor management restrictions as well, right? Because, I mean, we know that this is, we don't know how rampant it is in the community because we haven't tested everyone. So we do have a visitor management process in place. That's not just done by us. This was in collaboration with the other large uh, hospital systems in the area, right? Correct. So um, I think uh, with some of our partner um, partner hospitals as well as some community hospitals, Novant, uh, there's sort of been a decision to have sort of a unified approach to visitation. So right. in acute care facilities, and I think the, as we think about ambulatory practices, yeah. limiting who you take with you to a visit or who other people bring with them, just so we're not exposing ourselves um, unnecessarily. No, I think, uh, and I think our, our community needs to understand that. I mean, the, we are trying to do this uh, social distancing to try to limit exposure. We don't really want, if there is a potential for a patient or a community member to bring something in, that would be the worst of the worst. Um, so, yes, I think we need to be cognizant of that. Um, I don't want to take up too much more time. I mean, what would you tell our teammates right now where we are in the current state of um, knowing where the disease is, that it's evolving, knowing where the testing is? What would you share and say with our, our team um, presently? Yeah, I mean, I think the big message is obviously we're all learning as we go day by day. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the best message for people, whether you're a healthcare provider or a community member, is to stay at home if you're sick. Notify um, your provider um, through phone or some other messaging system, whether that might be my atrium or something else. 
uh, know that there are mechanisms in place to direct our patients and ourselves so that we can get uh, screened on sort of a virtual platform, be phone or e-visit or virtual visit. And I think the real strength of our system will be able to sort of use those mechanisms to limit um, the encounters of patients in our spaces where we currently work so that we can hopefully limit the exposure to teammates, um, limit other patients infecting other patients. So we want to really use this platform. You know, Atrium Health's using virtual care as well as integrating with our testing strategies, with our ambulatory strategies, with our community testing, and with our inpatient to try to make a fluid process where there's a constant messaging. But I think the best messaging is stay home, advise your people to contact us virtually, and then we can direct them to the best place. Very good. And if 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 um, if a community physician, uh, Atrium Health or otherwise, wanted to reach out, uh, they could go through the uh, Physician Connect line and try to reach out and get a consult uh, to get advice. Because I mean, as my, I know you all personally, you guys are the best of the best, and we're privileged to have you all here on our campus. But they they have that ability to reach out and get advice from you all if needed as well. Yeah, so there's multiple mechanisms, so we'd be happy to have anyone reach out to us and get advice. Uh, we're also trying to set up other mechanisms where people can just call to get uh, some advice, whether it be a, a hotline. There is a state hotline where okay. people can what? go to. It's the poison control line. It's okay. actually been set up to also support some oh, questions around this. Good. Um, so I think a lot of mechanisms, uh, but again, uh, certainly anyone happy to reach out to us to get more information. Well, that, that segues into another thought, though. I mean, of course, we're thinking about it from, from Charlotte Metro area and atrium health what other efforts are being put forth by the state um and i I know you all are in constant communication with the state uh state and from a national level that you all are involved with yes i think there's constant communications going on with the health department uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the state level and locally uh, particularly with us now having some cases uh in the area so those communications are always ongoing we have communications with other healthcare systems to see what they've learned uh, so a lot of communication with folks on the West Coast uh, who've had uh, a couple weeks ahead of us uh, yeah. to learn from this. Yeah. So we're in um, conversations with physicians out there who are on the front lines, with infectious disease physicians on the front lines, um, and those sort of collaborations or sharing of uh, intellect uh, are ongoing on a daily basis. And you mentioned something that I know is going to be probably heartbreaking news, that we do have a couple of cases that have been identified locally. Um, uh, I know that we've ruled out patients before uh, after having gone testing, uh, but can you comment on that? I mean, how prepared do you think we are uh, with managing those patients that we've now identified as uh, having been exposed? So I think uh, we've done a lot of preparation. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously a, a, a new day, yeah. um, and so you may not feel as per as you thought you were, uh, <laughs> but uh, we, sure. we have a system in place. I think it's a good team that are communicating with each other. Uh, I think open communication from all teammates. Uh, when we do see something that could be improved, uh, we're more than happy to learn from that as well. Sure. So, um, but I think we've got systems in place that are coordinated, um, and so I think that's helpful to try to hopefully have a, a solid strategy to deal with this. And you also mentioned the other thing. You all are in close communications with the, the West Coast uh, facilities and systems and providers who've already experienced it and managing it and we're learning from them and have already incorporated many of their recommendations into our practices. True. 
Correct. So a lot of strategies about how best to do testing, about how to protect healthcare workers, uh, ways to, uh, the sort of concept around the surgical mask versus other protection, That's a lot of that's been learned from them. Yeah. And then just, again, some of how do patients present, uh, what things to be looking out for, those are things that we have learned. Um, what's challenging also is we're sort of still in the flu season. And right. Unfortunately, it's um, been dragged out a little bit longer than uh, we would like. Um, but there has been some interesting information for people who have the flu. Uh, there's been very little co-infection uh, with the COVID-19. Um, and so when we do know that people have the flu uh, or other respiratory uh, infections for that uh, matter, um, the risk of COVID-19 um, goes down okay. uh, when we, we have those situations. And that's why we want to screen them when they get here. Even if someone has those symptoms you're talking about, you want to differentiate between uh, the flu or some other viral condition and, and truly not the COVID-19. Yeah, so I think that paradigm is in existence now. Um, I think as time goes on, yeah. the paradigm will change a little bit as okay. flu decreases. Um, I will make uh, one comment that we do have to really sort of still continue to screen people. So I think one of the um, sort of panic buttons uh, when we do have a case is that, oh, we need to test everybody now with any right. symptoms. So the one limitation that not only is atrium facing, but our country and the world is a limitation of resources. Yeah. So trying to think about how much PPE do we have? How many tests can we do for PCRs? And interestingly, the media that's used for the COVID-19 testing is the same for a respiratory panel. Ah, so again, something we'll okay. have to think about um, as we move through this and flu dies down, uh, what is the importance of continuing to do that test um, in the right uh, patient? Um, so ever-evolving algorithm, um, but something certainly to think about. So given the current state, um as of March 12th, 2020, what advice would you give to our healthcare workers, their families, and our community? Yeah, I think as we sort of embark uh, on this journey, I think the things to keep important are obviously we need to stay calm um, and coordinated as a healthcare system. I think doing things that we know we need to do and being vigilant about those, such as hand hygiene, uh, when you're coughing, cough into your arm, cover your cough, stay home when you're sick, um, and this whole concept of social distancing and staying away from people. I think as a community, if we can collectively wrap around the basic structures, I think we're going to get through this better than we would if panic ensues and we all try to do things on our own. I think following the basic tenets that we've talked about, um, as a healthcare system, we can come together and... Um, through this together. I agree. All right. Well, I know we'll have an update from uh, you or your team in, in a week or two, and, um, and we look forward to that. Um, but what I would like to say is thank you, and, and I would also encourage all the listeners to make sure that you know we've got strong people uh, in our infectious disease department working with us here at Atrium to help take care of our patients, our teammates, and our community. Uh, so with that, thank you, Dr. McCurdy, for taking this time to chat with us. Great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Get in the Know with Your CMO. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Please join us again as we interview medical staff members, teammates, and other leaders 